Hi, Church. I invite everyone to stand on your feet in the honor of the word of the God. Today's scripture reading is taken from Galatians 4, verse 8 to 20. Let's read together in count of three. One, two, three. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. But receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you will have got shut your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much more, but no, no good. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am against anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my turn, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. You all may be seated. Now, let me get the cat out of the box first. I did not, I did not pray for Gong to be stopped. I'm just going to let you know, I did not pray that prayer. In fact, I was so loving, I prayed that those of you who went to Gong will return safely and able to attend our service. I was ready, I was, my heart was ready to see some of you slain in the spirit during my sermon, okay? I was ready, Okay. So I was not that mean. I did not pray for the gong to be stopped. So don't blame me. But I think your wife might did. Okay? <laughs> Just putting it out there. And the, the prayer of a righteous person is heard. Okay? Apparently, her prayer are answered and our prayer are not answered. And also, I want to say thank you for coming in on time because I do realize that most of you come earlier than usual today, even though some of you who usually come on time are late today. But that's fine. Uh, the application of the sermon from last week, you remember, is for us to come to church on time. Why? Because it's actually restructure our heart as we sit and listen and do the worship, the scripture reading and the worship together. So for those of you who are coming on time, let me say thank you. I really appreciate that. And let's continue to do that uh, for the coming weeks. So tonight, we are on the ninth sermon on the book of Galatians. Imagine a group of prisoners of war who spent years in prison and during terrible, terrible condition. They were tortured, forced to work, and they only had enough food just to live another day. Then peace was finally negotiated between the countries and they were returned to their homeland. Okay? And then they were given medical attention, bath, and given new clothes. And then they were brought into a restaurant and they told they could eat whatever they want and however much they wanted. So they quickly ordered the starry fried rice, KFC, double bacon cheeseburger, supreme pizza, Indomie, Samyang, name it. And these former prisoners were enjoying their freedom. But what if we, we discover a few months later, these former prisoners wanted to go back to their prison cell? What if they told their superiors that they'd rather return to captivity? We will say, have they lost their mind? What were they thinking? Because that is insane. And this is Paul's frustration with the Galatians. Okay? So let's recap what we learned so far. Paul is the apostle who founded the Galatian church, and he taught them the gospel. So from the very beginning, Paul taught them that the only way you can be saved is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. But then Paul left to continue his ministry journey. But then came along false teachers from Jerusalem who said, no, 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 no. Paul's teaching is great, 
but it's incomplete because you will never be safe unless you're circumcised, unless you follow the law of God. So the false teachers were basically teaching these three steps of salvation, which is very different from Paul, okay? We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Let's review that. The false order, the false teachers say, this is what you need to do to be saved. Number one, you need to believe Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and then you need to obey God to the best of your ability, and then you'll be safe. But then Paul said, no, 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 that's wrong, because the right order is you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the moment you believe you are safe, and out of that salvation, you obey God. Now, you see the difference? And this is not a simply matter of order. Because when we switch the order, because the false teachers said, salvation is the fruit of obedience. While Paul said, obedience is the fruit of salvation. And when we have these two things twisted, what happened is just not a different order. What happened is two different religions, two different worldviews. Two different philosophies, and they result in two different ways of life. One leads to freedom, the other leads to slavery. So last week, if you remember, we looked at how Paul convinced us that we have been brought from slavery to sonship. Remember that? We are free from the bondage of the law. We are no longer prisoners of the law. But the problem is the Galatian church were influenced by the false teachers to return back to the slavery of the law. And now Paul is asking throughout the letter, have you lost your mind? What were you thinking? Why would you go back under the slavery of the law when Christ has set you free from it? One preacher put it this way. I mean, this is very graphic, but it's awesome. It says this, what the Galatians did is like a dog who return to lick its own format. And listen, Christians are those who have been freed from slavery to sonship. The question is, why would we ever want to go back from sonship to slavery? Okay, that's a summary of what happened so far. And today's passage, Paul will finally talk about the difference between his ministry and the false teachers, okay? So in Galatians chapter 1 to 3, we can see that Paul is acting like an apostle, like a theologian. But today is a bit different because today we will hear Paul as the pastor. We will hear Paul as the spiritual parents because his words are filled with personal affection. Okay, and let me be honest. I enjoyed preparing the first part of the sermon. I love it. However, the second part of the sermon was very awkward for me. Because it talk about the relation between me as the pastor and you as the congregation. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I usually leave this kind of passage for Edric to preach. And he's not here, right? And, but at the same time, I realize this is healthy to do expository sermons, like when we go through books of the Bible, why? Because it actually makes me preach passages that I will not choose otherwise. This is the kind of passage that I, on my own, will not choose because it's awkward for me. But yet, it's my job to teach you the Bible. It's not my job to tell you what I want to say, okay? So let's get into the text. There are three things that the text are telling us. Gospel concern, gospel ministry, and gospel goal. Let's go to the first one, the gospel concern. Verse 8 to verse 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slave you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in faith. So before the Galatians come to know the gospel... See, many of them had been an idol worshiper who had lived immoral lifestyle. So they worshiped many different gods who enslaved them. And Paul called them the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Here's what happened. If you watch a lot of ancient movies, you know this. In the ancient world, they love, they worship different gods based on their needs. So they will try to appease different gods based on what they need at the current time. So, for example, if you are a farmer and you need rain, you will want to appease the God of rain, 
right? In order for rain to, to come down. And if you were going on a journey via sea, because there was no plane at the time, you would want to appease Poseidon, which is the god of the sea, in order for you to get to your destination safely. If you wanted to get pregnant, you will appease the god of fertility. You with me? So that's how they live their life. But then they heard the gospel, and they were set free from those false gods. But now, Paul asks, why are you turning back to the worldless elementary principles of the world? Why would you want to be slave once again? Now, and this is very interesting. On the surface, it seems like Paul is saying, do not go back to your former religion and gods. Am I right? So it seems like Paul is saying, don't go back to Poseidon. Don't go back to worshiping Zeus. Don't worship Athena, etc. But that's not what Paul is saying. Remember the context of Galatians. The problem with the Galatians is not that they return to their former life, isn't it? What's the problem with the Galatians? The problem with the Galatians is biblical legalism. What's that? It is using the Bible, it is using obedience to God, obedience to the law, as a way for them to know that they can stand right before God. So the false teacher, they're not neglecting, they're not encouraging them to neglect God's law and return to the former life, no. That's not what happened. They were telling them, in order for you to be accepted by God, you need to obey God's law. And the Galatians accepted the teaching, and then they began to observe Jewish special days, months, and calendars, such as Yom Kippur, the Old Testament feasts and festivals and calendars. And here's what Paul is saying, and this is shocking. Okay, follow me. This is extremely shocking, but Paul is making a very important point. This is what he said. Trying to earn salvation through religious obedience to the law is just as much enslavement as worshiping idols and all their immoral practices. Now, this is strong because Paul said, Worshipping other gods, worshipping Zeus, Poseidon, and all other gods, and biblical legalism are basically the same thing. Both are spiritual slavery, and in the end, both are as lost. Why? Because both of them are trying to be their own savior in different ways. In other words, Paul is saying, the only alternative to the gospel is idolatry. Okay? Let me explain. What is the elementary principle of the world? It's simply this. You and I understand this. The elementary principle of the world, the rule by which everyone us, open us, work by, function by is this. We must do something to save ourselves. Our salvation is in our hand. It's up to me. And, what, and we will worship what we think we need to save and fulfill ourselves. And whatever it is that we worship, it will enslave us. For example, let's say you put your greatest hope in money. What happened? We will be controlled and enslaved by money. If we are not doing well in making money, we'll be devastated. Even if we are doing well at making money, we never feel that it's enough, right? So if anything threatens our ability to make money, we will be filled with fear, afraid. If anything blocks us to, from making more money, we'll be angry. Why? If we make mistakes and lose a lot of money, we will want to kill ourselves. If we succeed in making more money, is that happily ever after? No. We become prideful and we want even more money. John Rockefeller, one of the richest people of all time, was once asked this question. Okay, and in the interview, he was asked this question. How much money does it take to make a man happy? He replied, just one more dollar. The richest person said, how much money do you think it will make, it take, will make for you to be happy? One more dollar. Can you see it? Enslaved by money. And Paul is saying that if we treat things that are not God as though they are, we become slaves to them spiritually. So now let's put it in the context of the book of Galatians. 
Well, yes, how can obedience to God's law consider as enslavement to false God? Think about it. If we think we are saved by our obedience, this is what happened. We will turn our obedience into false God. Now, we will rely on our church attendance, Bible reading, ministry in church, what, what, what do we do for God, to tell us that I'm actually good enough and accepted before God. And when we turn those good things into false God, it will enslave us because here's how I know what happened. You will continue to look to your obedience, how much you've done for God, in order for you to feel like you're good enough in front of God. But the question is, how good, how much is good enough? One more obedience. It's never enough. And that's why it will enslave you. It will enslave you. The obedience to the law of God, rather than setting you free, it will make you a slave. Now, a good example of this is the story of the two brothers in the parable of the prodigal son that we looked at last week. See, the father not only had one son, the father had two sons, the younger brother and the elder brother. Now, the former Galatians, the Galatians before Jesus, they're like the younger brother. He was out there sinning, fornicating, pursuing immoral, irreligious life. But the elder brother was the total opposite because he was very moral and religious. And he stuck close to his father. He never left home. He always obeyed his father. And when the younger brother returned, remember, and things did not turn out as expected, do you remember what the elder brother said to the father? It's not like, oh my gosh, daddy, our younger brother's back. Let's welcome him. No. Do you know what he said? Father. I have served you for many years. I never disobey your command. I always obey you. But you never gave me a young good to celebrate with my friend. You know what that is? Enslavement. And the point of the parable is both sons wanted the father's wealth, but not the father's heart. Neither of them loved the father. Both were alienated from the father. And this is what idolatry does because idolatry makes us say, I'm going to be my own savior. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I am the master of my own life. I don't want to give up control to God. I can do it on my own. My faith is in my hand. I am capable. And here's the danger. Do you remember what happened at the end of the parable between the two prodigal sons? The immoral younger brother repented and went into the father's house. While the moral, the good brother, the religious elder brother, stay outside the house and was angry. Don't miss it. The idolatry and slavery of religion are worse than the idolatry and slavery of the irreligion because it is less obvious. See, the immoral person, the irreligious person know that they are far from God. It's obvious. But the religious person, they don't have a clue, which tells us that we can be incredibly moral and religious. We can know all the right Christian doctrine. We can be sexually pure and generous, and we can be just as enslaved as those who do not care about God and sleep with, different, with, a, sleep with a different person every night. Because we are still trying to be our own savior. Okay, let me read you a very, very strong quote, not by me, but, but by John Piper. Okay, this is what he said, and it is very strong, by the way. Satan does not care if you try to keep Ten Commandments, provided that you take credit for keeping them. In fact, he will assist your moral resolve if you will do it that way. Satan does not mind if you come to church or teach Sunday school or preach or lobby for human life bill or seek prayer in the schools. He's all in favor of whatever your moral agenda is, provided you rely on yourself inside the spirit of Christ and take credit for yourself instead of humbly giving all glory to God. Listen, Satan loved when you obey God's law for the wrong reason. He has no problem whatsoever with us trying to obey the law in order to save ourselves. So let me ask you a question today. Simple question. Why are you here today? If you're here because you believe that your church attendance somehow makes you acceptable before God, 
then you are just as enslaved as someone who is out there right now partying and getting drunk on Sunday afternoon. According to Paul, you are here because you are enslaved to your idol. You are not worshiping Jesus. See, you are in church, but your heart are far from God. You're in church, why? Well, because it's Sunday. You're in church, why? Because that's what you do in order to get in God's good book. But your heart is far from God. Your heart is heavily laden, and the truth is you are exhausted. You are weary. You have no joy whatsoever. And here's the danger. The danger is you think you know God. You think you know God because you're here. You think you know God because all the things you do for God, but that is not Christianity. That's you trying to save yourself by your works instead of trusting in Jesus' perfect works. Do you know what Christianity is? Here's what Paul said, verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principle of the world whose slave you want to be once more? See, when Paul says, you have come to know God or rather be known by God, he's not saying this. It doesn't really matter if you don't really know God, but it's okay because God knows you. He's not saying that. What Paul is asking is simply this question. In Christianity, which one is the primary? Which one is the most important? Which one makes you a Christian? Is it your knowing of God or God's knowing of you? And Paul says that the primary thing about Christian is not that you know God. It's not that you feel His love. It's not that you experience His grace. It's not that you pray to Him every morning and night. No, 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 no. That's great, but that does not make you a Christian. You know what makes you a Christian? God knows you. What makes you a Christian is that God loved you, God chosen you, and God showed His grace to you. So what makes you a Christian is not so much your knowing of God, but God's knowing of you. See the difference in the weight? So that means in Christianity, the weight is not in our love for God, the weight is in God's love for us. And that's good news, because here's what I know about all of us. Your knowing of God goes up and down, depending on your situation. But the good news is God's knowing of you absolutely fixed and unchanging. That's the gospel. And if you get the gospel, it means your performance means nothing in the eyes of God. All that matters is God knows you. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you are already beautiful and accepted and welcome because of your faith. So that means now you don't have, no longer have to prove yourself before God. You no longer have to be enslaved by your performance, by what you do for God, because now you are free in Christ. The basis of Christian assurance is not so much how much your heart is set on God, but on how unmovable God's heart is set on you. And Paul is saying to the Galatians here, listen, Galatians, don't treat Christianity like other religions. Don't treat Christianity like your past religion because Christianity is not about you and your performance. It's about God and Jesus' perfect performance for you. So don't go back to the slavery of religion when you already have the freedom of the gospel. That's Paul's argument. And then he will continue this argument next week. He will finally hit the gong. Remember the hot sermon that I've been telling you all about? That's next week. It's coming. Not today. So now, he will shift gear a little bit because Paul is worried as a pastor, as a spiritual parent, he's worried that his ministry to the Galatians might be in vain. So now, he wants to appeal to them based on the personal relationship he had with them, okay? And then he will finally hit the gong, theological gong again, next week. So let's talk about how does he begin to appeal then to the Galatians based on the personal relationship. My second point, gospel ministry. Verse 12 to verse 16. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, 
but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you will have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? And in these verses, Paul finally gives us insight to his relationship with the Galatians. So here's what happened. So apparently, Paul did not plan to go to Galatia and preach the gospel to them at first. But what happened was he got sick, and then he had to make a detour. So it was Paul's sickness that brought him to Galatia. But it's the wonderful part. Paul might not have planned to go to Galatia, but God had planned from eternity past that Paul would go to Galatia and preach the gospel in Galatia. And Paul used, God used Paul's illness to bring him to Galatia. And as a result of it, hundreds of lives were transformed, which tells me this is a wonderful example of how God brings something good out of suffering. And this is also a great reminder that for many of us, that even when life does not work out according to our plan, even when you expect today will be the day that you will ride that cycle, bicycle to Wollongong, it doesn't happen. It is always within God's plan. God intentionally messed with your plan. God intentionally messed with Paul's tragic plan using illness so that he brought Paul to Galatia to change the eternal destiny of many people. And I believe God intentionally intervened in your plan so that you might not fall asleep during sermon today. And let that be encouragement for many of us. Because I know for people like me, we love to plan. For planners like me, we get frustrated when things do not work according to our plan. And the encouragement is, I don't know who this is for, but listen. If God messes up your plan and brings you unexpected pain and suffering, God knows exactly what he's doing. God is the ultimate economist. He does not, he does not waste anything. He's the expert of bringing the greatest good out of the smallest setback. And here, Paul is encouraging the Galatians then to become like Paul. Now, listen, this is not Paul being narcissistic, okay? Paul's not telling the Galatians, hey, Galatians, why don't you imitate my fashion style? Why don't you imitate my personality? That's not what is happening. Paul is telling the Galatians to imitate his freedom in the gospel because he's trying to encourage them to walk in the freedom that he's walking in because Paul is as free as anyone can get. Because it doesn't matter what happened to him, Paul is untouchable. Okay, he says in Philippians 4 verse 13, okay, this is some of your, maybe your life verses, even though sometimes it's used out of context. This is what Paul said. I can do all things through him who strengthened me. Okay, I, and whenever I see these verses, people use these verses, initially what happens is like, you know, like a Christian sport athlete will quote this verse to say, God will give him the strength to win the championship, right? Or maybe you quote it, God will me, give me the strength to accomplish my dream. And that's cute, but that's wrong. Because if we read in context, what Paul is saying is this, okay? Paul says this in Philippians. I've been through many difficulties in life. I've experienced poverty. I know what it means to sleep in cold concrete dungeon. I know what it feels like to be in need. I know what it feels like when everything seems to be go, go against you but I also know what it means to have plenty. In whatever situations, I learn to be content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Paul is a free man. Matt Chandler often said that you can't touch a man like Paul. If you threaten to kill him, he said to die his game. If you were going to leave him alone, he said to die to live his Christ. If you beat him and get him to stop preaching the gospel, he said, I will not count the present suffering as worthy to be compared to future glory. If you put him in prison, he will sing and convert the guards. What can you do to him? Nothing. He's a free man because of the gospel. And now Paul's inviting Galatians to live in that same freedom. Rather than living in the slavery of the law, why don't you live in the freedom that the gospel has given you? But he doesn't stop there, okay? I love this part about Paul. He says this, Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. 
So Paul is encouraging the Galatians to become like Paul because Paul has first become like them. So when Paul first came to Galatia, this is what he did. He adapted to them. He identified with them. Okay, if you remember one of his famous statements, Paul said in the book of Romans, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. But to the Greek, I became like a Greek. It doesn't mean Paul is willing to compromise the gospel for the sake of getting along. No, no. Because our book, our series on Galatians tell us how unyielding Paul is when it comes to the gospel, right? The dude will fight to the death for the gospel. He says, there's if an angel showed up and preached a different gospel, he will punch that angel in the face and kick the angel of the church. I mean, that's how unyielding he is when it comes to the gospel. But to the Galatian, he says, listen, Galatian, I'm not going to be bound by my Jewishness. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to play with you. I'm going to adapt my ministry to your problem, to your need, to your difficulties, and to your issue, which tells us he's very culturally flexible. Tim Keller put it this way. A ministry that is energized by the gospel is flexible and adaptable with everything apart from the gospel. It is not tied to every specific of culture and custom. Its leader can come and truly live among the people they are seeking to reach and adopt their ways and love them. And this is the opposite of the false teachers. Remember what the false teachers are teaching? The false teachers are teaching the non-Israelites, the non-Jews. They said, in order for you to become a Christian, in order for you to be saved, you need to become like me. You need to become a Jew. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow me, look at me, be like me. While the gospel said, no, 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 no. It's the opposite. One of the marks of legalistic mindset, it is inflexible and obsessed with making people look like them. But if you get the gospel, it's different. The marks of a person who has been transformed by the gospel are they're absolutely unyielding about the gospel and they are incredibly flexible about everything else. So when Paul first came to Galatia because of his illness, the Galatians loved him. Okay, we do not know what kind of sickness it was, but whatever it was, it made Paul unpleasant to be around. But the Galatians welcomed Paul as if he was an angel of God. In fact, they welcomed Paul as if he was Jesus. Okay, that's Paul's word. I mean, they loved Paul so much to the point that they would have given him anything. Okay, Paul even said, you guys are even willing to gouge out your eye and give them to me. Just out of curiosity. Okay, maybe I shouldn't ask that question. No one's going to raise their hand. Never mind. See, the love that the Galatians had for Paul is real and intense, right? But now Paul says, what happened to you? Because there's a great change now. Before, they were filled with love, joy, and gratitude toward Paul, but now they see Paul as an enemy because Paul is rebuking them for walking away from the gospel. And Paul's point is simply this. Galatians. I have not changed. My gospel is still the same gospel. My love for you is the same. I'm still the same person. It is you who change. You used to love the gospel and welcome me as if I'm an angel of God. But now you are under the influence of other people who have very different messages from me. And now, have I then become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? See, Paul says harsh things to Galatians as we have seen in the book of Galatia. But why does he do that? Not because he hates them, but because he loved them. He's willing to risk his relationship with them by telling them the truth instead of telling them what they want to hear. And here's a point of reflection for all of us as Christians, okay? Think about it. Do we want to be faithful or do we want to be popular? Because if we want to be faithful to the gospel, more than pleasing people. We can't avoid people who look at us as if we are their enemy. If we want to be faithful to the gospel, you cannot avoid colleagues at work who will look at you as if you're strange. If you want to be faithful to the gospel, you will not be able to avoid friends at school who think that you're weird. 
If you want to be faithful to the gospel, you can't avoid those family members who think that you're insane. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is, do I want to be faithful to the gospel or do I want to be popular? Because you can be popular by being not faithful to the gospel. And I pray that our answer is the same like Paul. Unyielding about the gospel and flexible about everything else. You with me so far? But then, 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 now Paul will unpack for us, then what is the goal of his ministry? Then how is it different from the false teachers? Okay? Which led me to my third point, gospel goal. For 17 to verse 20. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of or for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Okay? And here Paul is unraveling the false teacher's goal. Here's their goal. You know what their goal is? Their goal is to make much of the Galatian so that the Galatian will make much of them. In other words, the false teachers, they're not interested in the Galatians' spiritual growth. No, 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 no. Their goal is for the Galatians to like them. And this is another form of salvation by works. Just as the false teachers are teaching the Galatians to earn their salvation by their works, so they are earning salvation by works. How? Salvation by ministry. Because the more people like their ministry, the more they feel like, ooh, I've earned my salvation. And that is why they need the Galatians to obey them and adore them. Because the more the Galatians obey them and adore them, the more they can be assured that they are good believers and they are accepted by God. And that is why they only say things that the Galatians like to hear. Why? So that the Galatians might like them back. They try to build up the Galatians, not in the gospel, but in pride and self-righteousness. That means, if we come to church today and we only want to hear messages that make much of us, we are just like the Galatians. Okay, let's be real. I know many of you come to church today with difficult issues in your life. And you come and listen to me preach about the gospel again and again. You're like, why are you keep repeating the same thing again and again, just different words every week? Why continue to preach the gospel, man? Don't you know that I have difficulties in my marriage? I do. So I realize when we come to church, you have difficulties in different areas of life. You have difficulties with financial you have difficulties with your loved one who are sick. You have difficulties with your children who are walking away from, the, from God. So when you come to church, I do understand that you come with many different issues that you're like, God, I need you to answer me. And do you know what you want to hear from me? This is what you want to hear from me. You want me to say to you, if you just do this and that, then your issue will go away. If you just put $100 today instead of $0.10 cent on the offering box, then God will deal with your problem. If you just commit to join MC for a year, and God will deal with your problem. And then you know what happened? You live happy. You're excited. Oh, yes, I find a solution. And then you live happy, and then I'm happy because you're happy, and then you happy make me and you love each other more. So now we are in this dark, symbiotic, dysfunctional cycle where we make Good when we kind of feed each other ego for no good reason. For no good purpose. It only makes you depending on me and I depending on you because I need you to love me and you need me to say things that you like to hear. And my friend, that is extremely dangerous. That's how you build a crowd. For me to make empty promises, if you just do this and that, this will happen. I make much of you, so you make much of me. But in the end, it only crush us. And that's what's happening between the false teachers and the Galatians. They 
feed each other ego. They continue to have this relationship, unhealthy relationship, where they feed and make much of each other for no good purpose. However, Paul said, my goal is very different. Paul is not interested in having a fan club. His goal is to see Christ form in the Galatians. See, Paul is not trying to get fans, my friend. Paul wants people to follow Christ as he follows Christ. So Paul's goal is not for people to become dependent on him. He wants people to become dependent on God. And this is what John Calvin said. If ministers wish to do any good, let them labor to form Christ, not to form themselves in their hearers. And this must be the goal of every preacher who preaches in the pulpit. The focus of gospel ministry is not on us, the preacher of the pastor. The focus needs to be on Christ. And this is my prayer for all of us every single week, that Christ may be formed in us. Not Christ dwell in us. It's good that Christ dwell in us. But the goal of every Christian ministry so that you and I may have more of Christ in our life. The goal of gospel ministry is not numerical growth, but Christ-likeness. And this is what I long to see, okay? The reason behind everything we do as a church, the reason why we insist, come on, come on time, the reason why we preach the way we preach, the reason why we serve the way we serve, is that you and I may grow in Christ-likeness. Well, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean I don't care about numerical growth. I mean, it's good, right? Like, for example, when I see church back like this, you know what I feel? Happy. I feel good. But numerical growth without Christ-likeness is vain. It's empty. There's no purpose to that. So now Paul's saying, listen, that's the difference between him and the false teachers because the false teachers, their goal is for the Galatians to like them. But Paul says, no, my goal, I long to see Christ form in you. I long to see the glory of Christ shine bright in your life. The false teachers, they only have their selfish interest at heart. They only want fans to glorify them. But Paul says, I want disciples who glorify Christ. And Paul says, he's in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is forming them. When I first read it, I thought, you know, that's an interesting language for a guy to use. He's in anguish of childbirth to describe his pain. So he's saying, like a mother longed to give birth to a child, Paul longs to see the Galatians transform for the glory of Christ. You know what it means? It means that when you become a pastor, it's like becoming a mother. Moms. Isn't that true? Bring back memory to when you still have your baby in your womb or you right now carrying that baby in your womb. Isn't it true that as much as you love that baby in your womb, you cannot wait for the child to come out of your womb, right? I mean, as much as you love and enjoy the fact that, you know, you're always, he or she is always with you in your tummy, you don't want your child to remain there, right? And you willingly go through the pain of labor. Why? to see your child come out of your womb. That's a picture of a pastor. As a pastor, you eagerly wait to see Christ form in the life of the congregation. And until that happens, you are in labor. And here's my encouragement for all of us. Find yourself pastors who have the gospel goal of your life. Because you need them. You don't want pastors who tickle your ears. You want pastors who are in pain, in labor, until they see Christ form in your life. Whether that be in this church or other church, you must have pastors who love Jesus and the gospel more than they like your Instagram posts, more than they want your like in their Instagram posts. Why? Here's why. Because then you also need to be the kind of people who are in labor, until you see Christ form in the life 
of people around you. These verses are not just to pastors, but to everyone who has been entrusted with the gospel. You are in pain until you see Christ form in the life of people around you. Have pastors like this and be a person like this. Last verse, verse 20. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. So Paul is saying, I wish, I wish I can change my tone toward you. I wish I can be nicer. I wish I can be kinder, but I cannot. Because I'm perplexed about you, Galatians. So Paul rather tell them the truth, the painful truth, rather than receive their praise. Because why? Because Paul understands that the only way that Christ can be formed in them, the only way that they can produce Christ-likeness is if they hold on to the true gospel. The moment they walk away from the true gospel, Christianity loses its power. Christianity minus the gospel is a dead religion. It's slavery, not freedom. And because Paul loved the Galatians, he chooses to tell them the truth, even though he know, he knows exactly it will make him their enemy. Can you see what happened? If you get the gospel, it frees you. It frees you to confront people for their good. Why? And in fact, that's the only way you can confront people for their good. It's the only way you can confront people to bring changes if you get the gospel. Because if you love your God, yourself more than you love other people, you'll not be able to tell them the truth. Why? Because you want their love. You want their approval. You don't want them to be angry at you. But if you tell them the truth without the agony of love, they won't listen to you. But if you speak the truth with love, there's a high chance that what you say will penetrate their heart and heal. And let me tell you, only the gospel can make that happen. Because the gospel tells you and me that we are sinners saved by grace, which means when we confront other people, we have no reason to think that I am better than you. I am just as sinful as you, sinners saved by grace. It humbles us. But at the same time, the gospel emboldens us because we understand what we already have the approval of God. We have already have the approval of the Heavenly Father. So I don't need your approval. Now I can confront you for your good. We are humble and yet we are bold. As a result, we can say, become like me because I became like you. So listen, we don't confront people for the sake of being right. We confront people with humility for the sake of Christ being formed in them. That's what we're called to do as Christians. And let me close with this. How? How can we do this well? There's only one way. You must see how Jesus did it for you. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Jesus became like you so that you may become like him. Think about it. Jesus Christ, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe, he became like you and me. He humbled himself and became one of us. The infinite become finite. The immortal became mortal. The king became a servant. And then he experienced what we experienced. He was hungry. He was in pain. He was abandoned by people closest to him. He was tempted in every area we are tempted, and yet he did not sin. He succeeded in every, every area we could not. And then, he spoke the truth in love. But you know what happened? He was treated like an enemy. He came to save his people, but his people rejected him. He came for his people, but his people crucified him. Do you know why? So that Christ may be formed in us. Jesus became us and took the condemnation we deserve for our sin at the cross so that when we put our faith in Him, we may become like Him. And just like Paul, if Paul is in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in the Galatian, Jesus, according to the book of Hebrew, Jesus has bound up His heart with our heart. 
He lived for our joy. He lived for our happiness. He lived for our glory. And He will not rest until He see Christ form in you and me. That's how committed He is to you. That's the gospel, my friend. And when we know how committed Jesus is to us, and when we can see what Jesus has done for us, we can do the same for others. We won't mind being misunderstood and hurt by others for the sake of Christ being formed in them because that is how Christ formed in us. Church, you need pastors like this. You need to be a Christian like this. Above all, you already have a God like this. His name is Jesus Christ. Rejoice in that truth and see Christ's form in you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you not only talk, but you walk the talk. That you not only tell us to be in anguish of childbirth until Christ formed in the life of people around us. You became like us. You endured that pain. You lifted out to the best, to the perfect ability. You succeeded where all of us fail. And you crucified at the cross so that when we put our faith in you, we may become like you. What a God we serve. What a joy it is to have a God like you. And I pray, Lord, that we continue to delight in that truth, rejoice in that truth, that we have a Savior who became like us so that we may become like Him. Help us, Holy Spirit. Continue to make this truth come alive in our heart. Show us the beauty of Christ more and more because that's what we need. And we ask this in Jesus' name.